Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to look for the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show all over social media. We're on Facebook. Look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On MeWe.com, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. On Twitter, follow LET Radio Show PO1. On Instagram, follow LET Radio Show Podcast. On Rumble, look for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. And on Gab.com, search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Again, our website is letradioshow.com. Hope to see you online soon. Calling us from the Orlando, Florida area, we have Mark DeBana on the phone. Mark is retired Seminole County Sheriff's Department uh, officer. And thanks for your service, Mark. And thanks for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. It's truly an honor, Jay, to be on the show, and I'm very much looking forward to this. Uh, I've been looking forward all day, as a matter of fact, so, so this, is, this is going to be a good talk. Absolutely. I've been aware of Mark for quite a while. He's one of these guys who's very active uh, on social media, on Facebook, and we got to talk about a new social media platform I've been using. I'm very happy with called MeWe. Uh, be sure to check out MeWe.com. Anyway, you are retired from Seminole County Sheriff's Department, but you're from Boston area originally, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was born and raised in Boston. I started my career in 1985. I started with a town right outside of Boston called Braintree. Worked there for a couple of years. Went on to the Amtrak police. Now, a lot of people don't realize Amtrak has their own police department. Um, worked for them up to uh, 94. And then uh, my wife and I decided we wanted to move to Florida. So then I picked up 25 years in the Summer County Sheriff's Office and uh, retired as a patrol sergeant. And, well, by the way, one sergeant and another, that's the best job in the department and it's the hardest job in the department. Oh my God! You know, you you, you must be you must be spying on me on my presentations because <laughs> that's what I say. I uh, I say the exact same thing. I decided to go no further than uh, sergeant by choice. Uh, I never took lieutenant's test once. I was a sergeant for 19 years. It is the most hardest position and the most difficult position in an agency because number one, you have to lead by example, and, and number two, you have to rub elbows with the administration a little bit, and sometimes that can be difficult, as we know. But for the most part, if you're there for the guys and girls, and there's nothing better than being a frontline troop, nothing, yeah. nothing better than all than well, that. Well, people don't seem to understand, and some departments have corporals and then sergeants. Uh, my department had a sergeant, and we were responsible for managing the troops, making sure they did their job the best of their ability, making sure they followed all the rules, all the laws, everything else, and making sure they're protected and they're okay. It's a fine balance. You're always juggling, and my job primarily was to keep heat from the lieutenants on up off of my troops i used to tell i used to tell my troops this and uh and a lot of people have repeated this from me number one if you think i don't need to know something then by all means don't tell me okay but never lie to me and i will protect you 110 percent if you're in the wrong you're the right or in the middle or whatever because that was our job as a sergeant is to keep it away from the lieutenant unless you know obviously there's some things that we have to report to the lieutenant obviously but for the most part if you have a happy work environment happy employees deliver a happy product 
And, one and we of the all things, know yeah. we, we all know the cop that's miserable, you know, you know that, that hates everybody, and you know, on and on and on. Well, some of that is leadership, also, and that's our job is to motivate unmotivated people. That's absolutely right, and to take time to get to know them, how's things at home, all those things. I remember having those conversations, and before we get in our conversation about your your career, uh, one of the most important things I feel as a sergeant was my conversation when I had new troops or was new to a squad, I always explained to them very simple things. Look, you're human, you make mistakes, you make mistakes doing your job, that's fine. Don't make it worse by covering up or trying to lie for something that was explainable. Don't do oh, it. Yeah, and the other thing was don't get in trouble not doing your job. That was the other thing. Right, right. Amen. And I, and I agree with you 100%, Jay, on that. Absolutely. You know, n- never lie, never try to make it look better. Or, you know, people are human. We do make mistakes. One of the things I used to say to the guys and girls all the time, too, was um, I always asked them a new person that came onto the squad or if I, came, or I went to a new squad. I, would, I always ask them, what, what, where, would they, where would they like to be in five years? career-wise, whether it's detective, SWAT, sergeant, whatever. And, but the biggest question I asked them all the time is, what do you expect from me? And I had so many officers and seasoned officers say, I've never had a sergeant say that to me. Well, I, I need to know what you expect from me. And again, I will back you 110% as long as you're doing the right thing and I can do the right thing with you. Absolutely. 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 I get this all the time. Even today, people say, well, you know, I guess that perpetrator fell down the stairs. I'm like, no, that didn't happen. If we had to put our hands on someone, we always wrote it down and we told the truth about why we did it. Uh, there was none of this, the guy fell. Uh, that didn't happen. Just right. didn't. If you had to beat up somebody, look, just tell us why. Exactly. See, and, and that's the culture that we're in now is people are afraid, officers are afraid to put their hands on somebody, obviously because of cell, cell, uh, cell phones, uh, what's going on in you know, Portland, Seattle, and, you know, the insane that's going on, you know, anti-law enforcement. But cops right now, they're afraid to put their hands on somebody. And there's no law that says we can't put their hands on somebody. It just has to be done the right way. And when I was the public information officer for my from uh, for Seminole County Sheriff's Office at one time I was the nighttime uh, PIO, and I had to do a uh, interview on a deputy that put somebody on the ground, split his head open, and the the video looked absolutely horrible. You know, uh, but I, one thing I said is any response to resistance is not going to look pretty. That's the bottom line. It is just not. But compliance and truthfulness will go much more further. Then it will, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. He, he, he tripped when he was going down the stairs, or when I was putting him in the cruiser, uh, he accidentally hit his head. We all know that's a bunch of BS. Yeah. Okay. But, but if you're truthful in your reports, you know, the truth will set you free, like that old saying goes. And I learned that from my mom. Always own up to your mistakes, always own up to. Uh, something that something you could always make make something good out of something bad. Now, with, now if a cop cops are outright beating people up, okay, that that's that's a whole that's a whole different story. That first of all, that cop shouldn't be on the job anyways if he's a bully and shouldn't be beating people up. Right, but and, uh, that's, but that's something else resist, that just they take that chance of being hurt or even being killed, mm-hmm. and that's a chance they take. And when we have our administrators now saying uh, at, at riots, they're not gatherings. Yeah, they're riots, okay? And do not, do, not, do not arrest anybody. If they spin on you, just take it. If they punch you, they kick you, that's part of your job. No, that's not part of your job. That's Absolutely not. not. Absolutely uh, you know, not. Because no, what message does that send to the public, to the good people 
that are watching these riots saying, oh my God, these are out of control and the cops aren't doing anything about it. What message does it send to them? Horrible message. Well, the message is, quite frankly, and I, I, I watch the videos. I saw the videos of, of cops at, at riot scenes. I saw the ones in New York having water thrown on them. I saw the chief patrol being hit in the head, and I saw no action. And that just didn't fly back in our day. We had very set rules. I didn't put my hands on you. You don't put your hands on me. If you do, or you threaten to put your hands on me, it's game on, and use of force is always justified in the situations, and it's always ugly. What's the old saying about making sausage? Everybody loves it, but no one wants to see it being made. Exactly, exactly. It's like that old Chris Rock video where he says, uh, he talks about uh, resisting the police, and he says one thing that uh, if you you run from the police, they're going to bring kicking with them yeah you know and it's, it's a funny line that he uses we're not making fun of police of uh, police force by any means but when, when you're when you're in a riot situation and you're in a cop space and you're spitting on them and shoving them and then you put your hands up in the air and say don't touch me well you you put yourself in that situation and i've got no pity for you whatsoever also whatsoever. there are many times we've had countless experiences where people have gone like they're going to surrender and then he used deadly force and the officer is severely injured and or killed this is the law enforcement show of all the radio stations in the united states there's only one show like ours the law enforcement today radio show and on facebook there's only one official page do a search on facebook for law enforcement today radio show that's law enforcement today radio show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. We're talking retired Sheriff Sergeant Mark DeBana. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Anyone can become the victim of addiction and chemical dependence. Parents, lawyers, teachers, and even law enforcement officers are not immune. Find Recovery is a national resource that connects individuals and families with the resources that they need to overcome addiction or substance abuse. Whether you're looking for a local AA meeting or a rehab facility anywhere in the country, Find Recovery can help. Call the confidential hotline today to talk with one of their helpful and compassionate representatives. Call 866-663-2193. 866-663-2193. That's 866-663-2193. Back to our conversation with retired Sheriff Sergeant Mark DeBona, retired from Seminole County, Florida Sheriff's Department. Also, a law enforcement experience in the Massachusetts area. And he got, what, 25 or 30 years total? 33, actually. 33? So, yeah, one of the old guys, man. You're yeah, I started, I started when I was 21. Yep. And would you say that you are salty or are you pleasant now? I got to tell you, I, I, I retired a year and a half ago. I actually retired on April Fool's Day, so that should tell you something right there. Uh, I am at peace in my life. Truly, truly, I, I miss the job. Absolutely. I truly, truly miss the job. But I knew it was time to go. I could have stayed another five due to the, the Florida retirement system. I could have went another five more years, and I chose not to. And I knew it was time to go, and I look at life, and I look at uh, things totally different now than I did on the job. Totally different. One of the things that I tell people all the time, and most of my guests and I, uh, we agree and we laugh about it, is that um, 
I saw something the other day. I posted it actually on the Law Enforcement Radio Show Facebook page. Also on me, we and other ones. I got into police work to change the world, and I got out of it because the world changed me. Uh, and it's, I say this, it wasn't all bad, the changes, and it wasn't all good. You can't unsee all the things you see, but I've accepted, and I'm at peace with where I am, and I'm okay with who I am. Absolutely. We, you know, you know, we, some people will say this, and I don't like when they say this, well, you signed up for that. That's not, that's not true. We didn't, we didn't sign up for the trauma. We didn't sign up for the nightmares. We didn't sign up for all these things that changed us physically and emotionally. We didn't sign up for that. We signed up, and I'm Jay, I'm, I know I'm speaking for you when I say this. We signed up, and as cliche as it sounds, is to help people and do the right thing for the public and catch the bad guys. You know, uh, that, that was our job. There was, there's, there's nothing better than catching a bad guy, you know, uh, that's doing something wrong. It, it's, a, it's a high. It's, it's good. But you look at policing now, oh, my goodness. I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't. I've only been out a year and a half. If I was out in Seattle or New York or Chicago, I, I, re- I, I don't know. I, it'd be very difficult, extremely difficult. I don't or, know how course, they do it guys either. guys have been around the block for a while. Yeah, I, I really don't get how they do it. And, and part of it is I, I get angry when people say things, well, were you bullied as a kid? Is that why you went into law enforcement and you wanted to show some authority and have power? Like, no, that wasn't it at all. And as a matter of fact, I think everybody I grew up with was bullied to some degree or another. There's two types of people when I was a kid, bullies and those who got bullied and those who fought back and the bullies left them alone. That's the way it was. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Totally agree with you on that. Yeah. And speaking of bully, um, it's funny you should bring that up is because there's bullying within the agency also uh, within within a lot, you know, uh, people that get ranked. They start bullying people uh, that one time they work side by side with. Or they start drinking the Kool-Aid and they become this company person and they start bullying these officers because, number one, either they don't believe in what they believe in or they think it should be done this way and they become the schoolyard bully and nobody wants to work for them. Right. You know, you have a yeah. brand new sergeant that becomes a, that, that becomes a, a person that, that is just repulsive, uh, micromanagement, and then next thing you know, people are transferring off his or her shift. You know, the FBI would call that a clue. There's obviously something going on with that. And uh, just because you have rank doesn't make you the uh, the top dog by, by any means. We used to have a rule respect, of thumb. I have respect for administrators that get out there and work. And like you said earlier, that uh, the, the NYPD, I think he was a, a deputy chief in, in yep. uh, New York that got hit in the head with a bottle. And yep. uh, I mean, he's right there on the front lines with the with the guys and girls. And yep. he got injured, got severely injured, as a matter of fact, and ends his career. That's, yeah, that's you know? absolutely so I, true. So I give that man a lot of credit for being out there. Where, where instead of staying on the side of the road, road yelling, do this, do that, he's right in the mix of things, and God bless him. We have, uh, at least where I came from, we had a, a train of thought. There was two types of officers. You had very proactive officers, and then you had people who were basically mobile secretaries. And then you had people that they rotated in between. And the ones who got promoted the most in the agency I went through were the ones who never did anything. They were the last ones to show up at the calls. They never got blood on their uniforms. They never got complaints because they didn't lock anybody up. And they became the bosses. And they were the ones who then turned around and said, this is how you need to handle this serial rapist that's happening in this neighborhood. And they've never done it. Right, right. You know, it, 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 there's, there's call takers and there's call makers. And, and uh, there were call takers, obviously. And then they'll say to you, and I remember, I remember this because I heard this quite a bit from, from my bosses. Well, you know, yeah, when I was on the road, I used to do it. I used to do this, or I used to make three or four arrests a night. I'm like, dude, I, I 
I used to work with you. That that that's a lie. That's, yeah. that's an outright lie. Yeah, you know. That's why you have to lead by example. And good work cops that get out there and work that make a lot of traffic stops, citizen contacts. Yeah, they are going to get complaints. They are going to they, they are going to get in trouble. But as long as you're not being malicious, you're going to you're, you're, you're going to be fine. And I used to tell the guys and girls all the time my squad. Our job is to put bad people in jail. Let's go put bad people in jail. Right. And use but but on the flip side of that, don't don't be afraid to use discretion. Yeah, you're not not everybody that breaks the law needs to go to jail. Not not but not by not by any means. So let's use discretion with that also. And you can be very successful. But when you have bosses that either forgot where they came from, or they they were just they, they were just horrible cops throughout their career, and they golfed with the chief and the sheriff or the admin or whatever, or they rubbed elbows with them and they started moving up in rank. And they sold their souls. I, I, got, I got nothing for you. We're going to we're going to leave that conversation because we can go on and on about that. And the reality is, the general population in America they don't see those people. Those people don't leave their office. They don't, we used to say the most dangerous thing they encountered was a paper cut or a rusty paper clip. That was what they did. So <laughs> that was the reality. The, the street cop is the one who catches all the grief. It goes to all the calls. The first one on the scene for the the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's almost always the bad and the ugly. And they're the ones who take the the brunt. And they're the ones who people complain about the most. And so many misconceptions in America right now. I blame Hollywood. When I say Hollywood, not just movies, but television, social media, the news media, big time, especially the newspapers, radio and television as well. Uh, And that's part of the reason why we have this show. I want people to understand the reality of what the people behind the badge go through, and that's why you're here. In your career, what would be the number one misconception that most people have about policing or law enforcement in America? I think that one of the biggest misconceptions is is they think cops don't care. You know, or, or, they, or they think they think cops are punks because uh, they're driving home from work and they go to ticket for speeding. Well, when you decide to when you ch- decide to speed or run a red light, you take that chance of getting a ticket. Okay, so I think one of the biggest, but what I think the biggest misconception is people don't think cops are human. That we don't have families, we don't have feelings, we don't have emotions, we don't get sick, uh, we don't get hurt. Uh, we work we work on our days off to make a couple extra bucks. We work an overtime shift or an off duty job or something like that because we don't get paid that well. And so they see on Hollywood, you know, um, a murder is a murder is solved in an hour. That that's pretty impressive. That's very impressive. <laughs> well, they, put that a, way. they put a name into a computer and there's your suspect. Yeah. Well, that 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 doesn't work that way. And, and I agree with you, Jay, when you say that Hollywood, uh, the media has hurt law enforcement. That's why I encourage people to do ride alongs to get involved with their, with their local departments and see the inside of what goes on besides just driving down the street and, and uh, answering calls. There's a lot, lot more that goes into law enforcement. You know, we, we This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're talking with retired Sheriff Sergeant Mark DeBona. Catch all the episodes of Law Enforcement Today show as a podcast for free. Do a Google search for Law Enforcement Today podcast or just go to letradioshow.com click the Be Heard tab and you'll find us right there. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Remember in the beginning when you first started to build a life for you and your family? You never imagined it would come to this. Instead of living your dreams, you're living with debt. In fact, it's smothering you. Now there's a way you can take back control with one simple call. If you owe $10,000 or more in credit card debt, you qualify to receive a free, no-obligation consultation on how to get rid of that debt for good. 
Call the Debt Helpline now. We work on your behalf to reduce your debt. We specialize in credit cards, retail store cards, and medical bills. One simple call is all it takes to get the ball rolling to a debt-free life. Stop living with debt and start living your dreams. Call the Debt Helpline now. 800-709-4389-800-709-4389-800-709-4389. That's 800-709-4389. our conversation with Mark DeBana. Mark's retired sheriff sergeant from the Seminole County, Florida Sheriff's Department. Mark, through my career uh, in law enforcement, I know I was an exception in a lot of ways. I was in four police-involved shootings. The first two, unlike what people believe or are told, I'd never fired a shot back. The second two were different. Uh, they were horrifying affairs. They had a, a big impact on me. But you know what scared me the most? It wasn't the drug raids. It, wasn't, it was delivering a baby. Getting those calls petrified me and i can i can definitely understand that we, you know we used to get dispatched to medical calls and they would say the uh somebody's not breathing or uh, it's an overdose or something like that we, you know we, we have basic training for that and it, we're, we're, that's all it is is basic training we're not we're not emts we're not paramedics obviously we're not doctors or nurses and one thing when you mentioned the baby jay um I was sitting at a fire station one night, and the uh, FD went out on a call. It's about maybe um, one, two o'clock in the morning, and uh, I was sitting in their, in their driveway, and a vehicle pulls in, and this lady jumps out of her vehicle. And she hands me her four-month-old uh, baby, and says, "I think my baby's not breathing." And but I, I'll, I'll tell you, my, my heart dropped in my stomach. I, I mean, I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I knew what to do, but I, I was just like, "Oh my God, this this." So I checked the baby's pulse, and the uh, baby did not didn't have a pulse. So I started doing CPR. I got on the radio, and I called for, I, you know I called for the fire departments. Now it seemed like it f- took forever for the fire department to get there. When in all reality, it didn't. But mind you, like I said earlier, that station was out on a call. So now another station has to come in from another area. So I'm doing CPR on the baby, and, and, and the, you know the lady is screaming, crying, "Save my baby!" And uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm head to toe in sweat, and uh, it, it was very, it was because I've done CPR in my 33 years several, several times, but I never did it on a, on a kid or, or, or in, in this case, an infant. So the FD got there, they started doing their thing. I got in the back of the ambulance with them, and I was, I was helping them. I was bagging the baby. And I'm driving. I am driving in the ambulance or riding in the ambulance to the emergency room. Well, when we got to the emergency room, uh, a, a time after that, the, the doctor said, "I'm sorry, but we're going to pronounce the baby dead." And I, I just sat there. I had te- you know tears coming down, and, and I, I just said, "How does this happen? This 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 shouldn't happen. This shouldn't happen at all." Well, when they brought the family into the room, now the dad was there, and the dad went off on me. You know, he's uh, swearing at me, yelling at me. And and I, I I understand his frustration, and I understand he just lost he just lost his he just lost his four month old baby, and, but he's kept on saying to me, you know, why could why couldn't you do any better? What you know, what do I pay you for? This is ridiculous. And I said, you know, sir, I did I did the best I could, and I, and I'm I'm so sorry. I, I, uh, and I and but I felt like a failure. I felt like a total failure. That was a part of law enforcement that I never was never trained to handle was never never learned how to uh, uh, you know, I mean I obviously I was trained in CPR but I didn't know understand the emotional aspect that came from that and that that that, that right there was the uh, the damage of my career yeah uh, emotionally and it was absolutely 
I, the word, the worst feeling in the world. I developed uh, nightmares from it. One thing I, I uh, one thing that reminded me of the baby is when you do CPR on on anybody, you know, the the, uh, the person makes that gurgling noise. Mm-hmm. And w- when my dogs drank their water out of their bowl, that I would think of that, and that that would upset me. And I would start yelling at my dogs, you know, stop, you know, stop, stop. I was having nightmares. I had nightmares of the baby on the sitting on the front seat of my cruiser with its arms out, trying to trying to reach out to me. Uh, nightmares of. Um, of the uh, the baby in my mailbox, and I'm like, I, I don't understand this. This is you know what is, what is going on with me. I tr- I really don't understand this at all. And it got to the point where I was afraid to go to work, and I was praying that I would never get a medical call again. Uh, which obviously that's you know that's not going to happen because we we go on medical calls. And but it just would beat me up. The the nightmares were so clear and so vivid where I was I was I got to the point where I was afraid to go to sleep. Because I didn't want to go to sleep because I didn't want to have that nightmare. So I wasn't getting that, that good sleep that you're supposed to get. And I went to work one time and I told, uh, I told the boss about my nightmares and about the call I had. And he told me his exact words were, toughen up, buttercup. Yeah. yeah you know, and, and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, now nobody understands how I'm feeling. And uh, my, I was talking to my wife about it. She said, "Well, I think you probably know that you could go. You need. Well, I do know you need. To, you need to go see a therapist." And I'm like, or a mental health professional. I'm like, I can't do that. If the job finds out that uh, I'm seeking medical uh, mental health uh, help, you know, I could be I could be fired, or I could be put on the rubber gun squad, or I could be reassigned. And as we know, you know, if word ever got out, you know, people won't want to work with me because I'll look weak. And it was just uh, a horrible, horrible feeling. Just and these 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 nightmares went on forever. And then uh, they came to a point where I had to um, renew my CPR. And when it got time to do the infant CPR, uh, I started doing it. And I had to put I put the the mannequin down. And I ran into the bathroom and I threw up. And I started having chest pains. And that was the first panic attack I ever had in my life. Was that what was that? And it was the most weirdest feeling in the world. You know, I, I'm a young guy. I shouldn't be having chest pains. I shouldn't be sweating or, or something to that. Uh, that. And then during that, that also affected my my uh, my work productivity. I was I was an active sergeant. I was out right out there with the guys and girls. You're writing tickets, making arrests, answering calls. I was a very proactive sergeant because I truly believed in leading by example. Well, that went down to zero pro- pro- productivity and, and, and weight gain and uh, outbursts. And I, I, I just said, this is just, I, I, I don't get this. And that affected my evaluation also, where I got a below stands evaluation. And I also went to 9-11 uh, three or four days after the buildings were hit. And one of the things I remember from there was uh, the smell of death, the, the burnt flesh, and the very somber uh, atmosphere of, of being at 9-11. And when I came back to Florida after uh, being up there for two or three weeks, one of the first calls I got was a vehicle fire, and uh, when I pulled, it was on a major highway. And when I pulled up with another deputy, the guy was in the car screaming, "Get me out of here! Help me! Help me!" And we got our fire extinguishers out. And we we couldn't put the car, uh, we we couldn't put the fire out, and we watched him burn to death. And I started, I started having nightmares of that also. And I'm like, I, I don't know how to handle this. I, I but I don't want to look weak because, as we know, Jay, you know the the stigma of looking weak in law enforcement is you're, you're pretty much going to be blackballed at that point. Yeah. Uh, no, nobody, will, nobody will want to work with you. And, you know, cops are, are, are the biggest talkers in the world. And uh, you don't want to get that reputation of looking weak. So what do you do? You start drinking, you start self-medicating, 
you start doing risky behavior, and that's not, that's the side of law enforcement that the, the public doesn't see. Or when they see that side, for example, I see videos all the time, uh, some cop screaming, yelling, mouthing off, and I, I think, man, I wonder if he's okay. Sure. A lot of these guys go from being, I say guys, that means men and women, go from being great police to six, seven, eight, nine months later, they're acting out, they're gaining weight, their behavior changes, and they're unsociable, or uh, and they're angry all the time. Right, right, yeah, and we all know that one one guy or girl that we work with that they're off at the world all the time. Well, you know, we, we we're trained to take care of each other. You know, going to the range and you know, uh, you know, two man, three man entries, all the all this all the all this stuff. But we're not trained to take care of each other. And when you work side by side with a person, that all of a sudden their demeanor has started changing. Their work productivity has gone down. They're, they don't look the same physically or, or, or and, and, you know, emotionally, because you can read people's faces because people on their face carry their emotions. Right. And uh, that, 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 it's more so as a sergeant, that is your job to keep an eye on your troops. But when I was beat, I was beat down, beat down, beat down. And then my evaluation, I worked for a micromanager lieutenant who verbally abused me. We're going to take a short uh, break. We are talking with was, retired Sheriff Sergeant Mark DeBana. We're going talk more about trauma, the after effects, where he's at now, how he got to where he's at now. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu. Or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The impact of COVID-19 on mental health has been a hot topic, as well as its connection with alcohol consumption and illicit drug use. Even a vaccine isn't going to resolve rising rates of addiction. Get help from a trusted addiction treatment program. Call today for a free insurance benefit verification. Call 866-663-2193, 866-663-2193, that's 866-663-2193. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603. 800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. Back to our conversation with retired Sheriff Sergeant Mark DeBana on the Law Enforcement Show, retired from Seminole County Sheriff's Department in Florida. Also spent many years policing in the Boston, Massachusetts area. Mark, before we in the break, you started talking and you took me right back to a lot of things. And that's the good and the bad with this show. Uh, I don't talk a lot about what I've been through, 
but some of the nightmares, and they're not always connected to directly to the incident. Briefly, I remember being a young rookie police, a beautiful spring day, we had a call for a man who set himself on fire, and I'm sitting there in my head, my head is screaming out loud. I think I was 22, going, they never trained me for this. I don't know what to do. I hope it's a right. false call. I hope it's not for real. I get there, and the guy literally is, is on fire and, and falls to the ground when we get there. And people are screaming, and rightfully so. They're upset. It's their family member. And you know, I, to this day, and it's not often, thank God, but to this day, that, that burning guy will show up in my dreams. And it, doesn't freak, me, yeah. it doesn't freak me out anymore because I know it comes to the territory. But when you talked about that baby, dude, there's nothing worse than... than the trauma of policing and you're not able to save the lives of the little innocent ones it's for, for a child that did not have the chance to to live a decent life or to or to uh to do uh to be, become an adult to become a successful person that person's life was was gone and the guilt that i had from that was i felt that i couldn't prolong that that kid's life that baby's life and that was just 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 tr- traumatic the, 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 I went to the I went to the baby's funeral. I felt I said I cried at the funeral. Um, I just and every day when I went to work, that's the only that's what I would think about all the time was was, was that baby. And again, like I said earlier, that that led to outbursts. That led to discipline issues, and I started getting a reputation of of, of being a, a wise guy and uh, not being not being a a good a good boss because I was I was just so angry and physically gaining a bunch of weight and so i wasn't happy with my appearance because because uh w- when i stress out uh i like to eat yeah. that, that's that's my that's i that's that's my big thing is eating i would go to dairy queen and i would get the triple blizzard yeah you know uh and then i would wash it down with a diet coke thinking i was okay you know <laughs> and i would go to McDon- <laughs> i would go to mcdonald's you later, sound like and, me and i would get i would get a big mac and, yeah. and, and the, the weight gain happened so fast because I was a guy that always kept myself in pretty decent shape. I mean, I'm, I'm not a gym rat, but I I like to exercise and and, and things like that. And, and my appearance also then it started affecting my marriage, where uh, I was very upset with my wife that uh, she kept on telling me to get help, and I'm like, you don't get this, you don't understand, because you're not on the job, you you don't get this, and then ultimately led to a suicide attempt, uh, or actually two suicide attempts on the, on the same night, and which I, I, I as much as I hate to say this. And I truly hate to say this, but when I used to go to suicide calls, I was always wondering. You know, I, I read the suicide note, and I'm like, why? Why are people killing themselves because of this? You know, can't can't you get stronger? Can't you get better, or something like that? But when you're fighting the demons and you're fighting uh, the stigma, it's it's very it's difficult. And in the law enforcement world or the first responder world, it's even more difficult because our job is to help people. And not to ask for help, and not to and be the one we, who needs help. And that's where we got to change. Yeah, exactly, and that's where we, we we we've got to change that culture. That it, it, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to um, to take a day off. Uh, to not to work so much. And uh, when I, when I when I decided to die by suicide, I, I wrote a note out, and it was a very angry note. And uh, on a spiritual level, also, I was very upset with God because I went to God for help, and I felt God wasn't listening to me. Well, God, in a spiritual level, again, God leads you down paths for a reason in life, and those are lessons learned reasons. But at that point, I couldn't see those lessons. All I could see was anger. And when I decided to die by suicide that night, when I put the gun in my mouth and I was ready to pull the trigger, fortunately, a deputy, uh, another deputy, pulled up next to me and. 
I didn't tell him originally what I was doing because when he pulled, obviously when he pulled up, I took the gun out of my mouth and I, I, um, I didn't, I didn't tell him right away. But during the course of our conversation, I did tell him what happened, and he told me that you need to get help. I'm like, yeah, I know, I've heard this a hundred times from my wife. Went home that morning and then had another suicide attempt at my pool. Uh, same, I started drinking heavily and had the gun out. And then finally, I said, you know something, I, I this is this is not good. I, I I have got to get some help because I I am on a trail. I, I am on a path of disaster. That's what I'm on. And I thought about also is I don't have any kids, but I thought about my wife. That you know what's going to happen to my wife if I decided to, to die by suicide. What's her life going to be? What What's my mom going to think? What's my brothers and sisters going to think? What are, uh, what are What are my coworkers going to think? And I thought about that also, and that got me uh, to a point where I'm, you know, something I, I need to get help. So what I did was I hid it from the job. I ended up going to back to Boston for a couple of weeks, and I checked myself into an in-house treatment facility, and I uh, was able to get some help there. But I didn't get the help that I uh, that I that I thought I was going to get because I was ashamed and embarrassed. So cops are good liars, and I, I lied my way out of there. And um, came back to Florida, was, was, was extremely, extremely angry with myself, with the job, and um, you know, bounced from one therapist to another. And then finally I found my, my present therapist, who's, who's actually a retired officer, and um, she gets it. But my suicide attempt was in 2008, and I retired in, you know, I, and I retired in 2019. So I went to work for 11 to 12 years with uh, with these issues. Now, granted, being in therapy definitely helped, but I had to say it was okay to go on medication. It was okay to go on sleep medication, uh, and it was okay. It was okay to hurt, and that's what my present therapist taught me was all that was uh, that you're only human. And then I became, and then I said to her, I said, "Well, I'm sure I'm not the only cop that ever thinks like that." And she goes, no, you, you, you're not. I said, well, I want to help other cops. And her, her exact words were, well, you can't help somebody if you're not healthy. That, you can't give away what you don't have. That's the old exactly. saying that always... Exactly. Yeah, yeah you're, you're and 100% the, right. And the only way yeah. you can get it is you got to do the work. Uh, look, th- you didn't go see a therapist and magically everything was better. You take a pill and pow, everything was better all of a sudden. There's a lot of work involved in this. There's more than you think there is. You know, you know it's like, like I was a big fan of the TV show The Sopranos. And, uh, and and even Tony Soprano went to a therapist, <laughs> and he had some good sessions and some not so good sessions. And uh, so I, I, but I kept to say, I want to give back. I want to give back. And then she said, Well, the only way you're going to be able to give back is when you get healthy yourself, and when you understand the issues and the demons that you're, you're battling. And then I'll tell you when when I think you're ready to start giving back. So she did tell me it was time to get ready eventually, but I still spoke very angry. I was very upset with my agency because when I told my agency about my suicide attempt, honestly, it wasn't the reaction I thought I was going to get. I thought that I was going to get this big hug and say, Haley, we'll get you through this. And it was the exact opposite, actually. Here's, that, that here's really the truth me. about that uh, from my perspective. And I tell people, uh, there's people I've known who, who've lost loved ones in line of duty. They were friends of mine. And I've known them for years. And then when their their, their loved one was killed, I stopped talking to him because I was scared to death to, to talk to him. Afraid I'd say the wrong thing. I'd rather crawl through a wall like a rat than, than talk to them. And if someone came to me that I worked with and said the same thing, I would be afraid. I wouldn't know how to handle it. I know better now, but back then, it would be, well, look, stiff upper lip, suck it up, buttercup, all that stuff. And I think we've gotten better. Not where we need to be yet, but I think we've gotten better with healing, helping our own. 
Oh, we we have definitely got better. There's no there's no question about that. Like if you told me in 1985 there's going to be units in an agency called peer support, I'd be like, what you know, what's peer support? I, I don't I don't I don't get that. Or if, if you told me uh, that I'd be on a radio show talking about law enforcement, mental health, and stress and suicide, I'd be like, yeah, you know, you, you're crazy. But you got to have that difficult conversation. We go we go to domestics. We go to people's houses of husband and wives that have been married for years that are arguing over bills, and especially what's going on right now with the pandemic and and everything else that's going on in this world. And we're telling people how to live their lives, and this is what to do. But we, we, so we're having that difficult conversation with them. But why can't we have that difficult conversation? with our co-workers and more so with ourselves. I think we're going to have to have you back on the show to talk about that. Uh, before we end, uh, how can people get in touch with you and find out more about what you do to help? Okay, so what I did, what I did was uh, I, um, I, um, I, I got better and uh, I started marketing myself. And I, I have a Facebook page. It's, it's, it's Mark Dibona, Mark, M-A-R-K, D-I-B-O-N-A. That's my Facebook page. And, uh, and I post a lot of mental health wellness and, and I network myself to speak on radio shows like this, uh, do presentations at, at, um, at conferences, uh, webinars, and I'm very, very open about my struggles. And I, 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 don't, I don't skate around it and, and I'm, I'm okay to have that difficult conversation. So I, I want people, and I don't tell my story for pity. That is the last thing I want is pity from me. I, I'm a big boy. I I, I I can I can handle it, but I want people to say, "Wow, you know that that that, that, that cop did struggle mentally," or "I know somebody that's that's having an issue right now," or "I'm having an issue right now." So that is where I want I want our I want the public and I want our brothers and sisters in law enforcement and all the first responder worlds to understand that you know this stuff does happen. And on that and note, we have to cut you off, Mark. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. You're very, very welcome. It was a true, truly an honor to, uh, to get to get to get the message out. Thank you, Jay, so much. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.